this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today we're going to be looking at how the unseen part of our lives, the spiritual part of our lives, is so much more important, so much more valuable than the physical, the material, the tangible, the part of our lives that we see. We're forever trying to get the visible part of our lives in order so that we can have those Uh, unseen spiritual benefits such as peace, joy, faith, and love. But the fact of the matter is those things come from God and they come first. And we get them when we source them from heaven, we stop trying to use the material side of our lives to accomplish and, and gain those things. So listen to these thoughts that we have today and be blessed. Right, so we are in Acts 7, and um, I don't know about you, I take the Bible literally, literally. If the Bible says something, I take it at face value. As soon as you start taking the Bible and watering it down and saying, oh, that doesn't apply for nowadays, that isn't for us today, that was for those people back then, but not for today you immediately start just chipping away and nullifying the power of God, the reality of God. And so I want us, every time you read the Bible, I challenge you to take the Bible, the Word of God, literally. Are there some things that are, that are um, I'm looking for the right word, but, you know, they, spiritual concepts? Yes, certainly there are certain, certain things like that. But for the most part, I challenge you to take the, the Bible, the Word of God, at face value. Why would God give us fables and event, or stories of things that didn't happen? What, what good would that do for us? I'm telling you, the Bible is a historical document that gives tons of good success stories and failures that we can learn from, and we should do so. So let's, with that kind of lens, let's look at the, 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 uh, the last part of chapter 6, of Acts 6, and then all of chapter 7. And what I'm going to do is simply talk you through that, that event that took place. There was this guy named Stephen, and Stephen, if you recall, was one of the seven people that was chosen uh, that was chosen by the, the body of believers at that time to, to help feed the widows, the, the church widows. And, uh, but Stephen was a man of faith. And what happens is when you start serving God, God starts using you in more than one way. We should never st- think that God is just going to use us in just one way. So Stephen started being used, the Bible says, in signs and wonders in miracles and and powerful life-changing events in his community at that time. Well, as as things would go, he got in a tangle with some some Jews of that time. They started arguing and debating, but the problem was, is every time Stephen would debate with these guys, he won the debate. And the Bible is very clear that it was because of the spirit of wisdom that God gave him they couldn't argue him into a corner. Instead, he was arguing them into a corner. Well, what happens whenever you lose and you keep losing, you st- keep losing, what do you do? You start cheating, right? Uh, uh, what did, uh, well, I'm not going to go into football. I was going to talk about how Bill Belichick, you know, went into, started deflating the footballs a little bit so he could make sure his quarterback was winning. But I'm not here to talk about the Patriots, all right? So forgive me. You start cheating, all right? And so what did he do? 
uh, the, this, this group of Jews, they rounded up some bad characters that started telling lies about Stephen and, and uh, putting him in a bad light so that he might be convicted of a crime of that time. And they said, you know, he's, he's talking bad about our biggest hero, who's Moses. And he's saying bad things about our law to be a lawbreaker. And so what did they do? They found some bad folks to accuse him of this. They brought him before the Sanhedrin, which would have been similar to our Supreme Court, but a larger group of people. It might be more like our Congress. Can you picture yourself being lied about and then being brought before Congress to, to testify of your, you know, the, the fact that you haven't done wrongdoing? That's what happened to Stephen. They brought him in before the Sanhedrin. Picture Congress for our, for our days, nowadays. And they began to accuse him, but then they gave the platform to Stephen. And he began to talk. And he probably preached one of the most powerful sermons found in the Bible. He started telling them, he walked through the history, the Jewish history, and pointing specifically to Moses and how the Israelites wouldn't listen to Moses. And then he said, you're just like your ancestors. You never listen to God. Well, you know what? Whenever you talk straight with people, one of two things can happen. <laughs> First of all, they might listen to you and they might repent. They might turn around from their wrongdoings or they might get mad at you. And that's exactly what happened. It says they gnashed their teeth. They covered their ears. They, can you imagine this happening in Congress? They ran from their chairs. They grabbed Stephen. They drug him out of the city. And they commenced capital punishment on him right there. And back then it was gruesome. They did it by stoning. All right? And so they began to stone Stephen. But something unusual happened. As he was being stoned, we read in Acts 7, verses 54 through 56, that the members of the Sanhedrin heard this. They were furious. They gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, look. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now we could take the scriptures, the set of scriptures, and we could talk about a host of things, but I'm going to speak to you today about the thing that God is dealing with me about, and I hope He's dealing with you as well. And that is the fact that you can begin to see the unseen. You can begin to see the unseen. Everybody else that was there, all they saw was Stephen and hearing Stephen. And, and you could see the crowd around him and the, the awful event that followed. But you know what? Stephen saw something else. He saw the unseen. And I want to tell you something. First, let me read you the scripture and I'll tell you. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what you see, what you can see, it's temporary. It's not going to last forever. But what is unseen lasts forever. It's eternal. And this verse, about two or three, maybe four weeks ago, 
hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'll tell you, I, I've just got to kind of just get, share my feelings here and what I was going through. I got this glimpse of wanting the unseen more than the seen, just for me personally. It was a desire. It was a shift in my desire for the tangible, the physical, the secure of what I can see, feel, and touch, and saying, I don't want that as much as I want to start seeing the unseen. It was a shift. It was like a teeter-totter. Have you ever seen a teeter-totter where you're on one side and the the heavier child (laughs) will go down to the bottom and and the lighter person will go up? It was like my teeter-totter was shifting and I was wanting more of the unseen than the seen. And I want for you the same thing because ever since I've had that shift just in the last few weeks, my life is changing. I'm putting a heavier premium, a heavier weight on the advantage of the unseen, invisible God over this physical universe. And it feels good. I got to admit to you, all of a sudden I'm caring less about material stuff and caring more about spiritual stuff. And I want that for you as well. It's good. It's rich. It's wonderful. It's life-giving. And it's real. Remember how we talked about the eagle last week. And uh, I, I hope that helped somebody last week. I hope that was a blessing to you and a visual. And I got I to say this. God wants you to have images in your mind. He wants to put, we've, you hear of an evil, bad imagination? What about a good and pure imagination? God wants to capture your attention. It's okay to imagine what God is like. It's okay to imagine good things happening, coming from heaven to you. Imagination is not a bad thing. God gave you an imagination. Don't you want to use your imagination? Picture yourself. I've been picturing this all week long, stretching my wings wide and saying, God, I want the unseen to lift me up. I want the unseen to lift me up. I don't need physical things to lift me up. I need the invisible God to lift me up. And just as you see that eagle soaring, what that eagle isn't soaring on something that's invisible. The wind, the updraft that we talked about last week. It's it's invisible. Does it mean it's not real? No. The invisible God is real. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean that he doesn't lift you up and raise you up into higher heights than you've ever been before. And so I want the unseen. I'm good with the unseen. In Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 19, by the way, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after the Scripture today. That's, that's what grows us, man, is the Word of God. But it says, Paul says to the Ephesian church, I keep asking that the God of our Lord and Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you what? A spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better, know the unseen better. I pray, look at this, that the eyes of your heart 
might be enlightened or may be enlightened in order that you may know what? Another unseen thing, hope, hope, that you may know hope, which he has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, another invisible thing, and his incomparably great power for uh, those of us who believe. Several unseen things here, but how do we begin to see them? With the eyes of our hearts. A spiritual sixth, sixth sense, if you will. And God wants you to begin to develop, to develop your sixth sense, sense, your sense, your spiritual sense, an understanding of who God is and what he means to you and what he'll do for you. Praise God. Well, again, the that, that updraft that we were talking about that lifts paragliders, that lifts eagles, that, that updraft, the center of that updraft is the unseen. But it's the most thrilling, incredible thing whenever you catch your updraft. And I've spoken with some of you this week. You've been telling me, I caught an updraft this week. I, 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 I got something from God this week that lifted me higher than I've been in quite some time, maybe even higher than I've ever been before. Guess what? God wants to raise you even higher. That updraft is the unseen, the spirit of God, the goodness of God, Christ Jesus himself lifting you up into higher heights. So you'll receive a text this week. I think it's even tomorrow that says something along these lines. Crave the unseen more than what you can see. Crave it. Say, God, I want more of you. I love what you do. And I can't see you, God, but that's all right. I want more of God in my life, the invisible God. It's fine with me that he's invisible. It's fine that I can't see him with my heart or hear him or with my eyes or hear him with my ears. I'm fine with that because I know my God is real. He's real. He impacts every area of my life if I let him. Praise God, so crave him. Now, just to kind of give you another example or experience, at least that I've had, this happened to me several years ago. I used to wonder, God, why on earth couldn't you have just made it to where I could literally hear your voice with my ear? Like, why, why is it that I can't hear you? I want to hear you. I want to hear your voice. I want to legitimately hear you speaking to me. And I found as I grew spiritually, I enjoy hearing God in my soul or in my spirit and my heart, whatever you want to call it, my inner person. I enjoy that more than I think I would hear, enjoy hearing his voice physically. The spiritual connection, which is faith, by the way, that spiritual connection that you have with God, it's the richest most wonderful thing. I wouldn't trade it for a million, gazillion dollars. It is wonderful. Well, I'm seeing also, hey, if, if that, that spiritual connection of hearing from God, of sensing his presence is so rich, then beginning to crave the unseen is equal or even more rich, more rich. It's undeniable. God's invisible. And we're going to read some scriptures about that. It's undeniable that he is. But it doesn't mean that he and I can't have a very genuine, amazing relationship and connection that we wouldn't trade again for anything. So how does, how does this work, enjoying 
God's invisible nature, well, we do have some tangible things. I tell you what, the Bible is so good. I want to eat it up. (laughs) I want to digest it. I want to believe it. I want it to change who I am. I want it. In fact, I want the Bible to become me, if that makes sense. The very word of God that's described there about hope or peace or joy or victory or whatever it is, or, or getting through suffering, it's a real thing in life, whatever it is, God, make the Bible me. Make it impact. Let it become who I am, who I, who I, who I want to be. You know, as, as, you, as, you, as you spend time with the unseen, you learn more about the Father. The Father, praise God. Some of us have had terrible father relationships, so the word father is either meaningless or actually comes with a negative connotation. God ain't that guy. God is a good father. He's a father you may have never had before that you wished you had. God the Father, the unseen, who is with you day and night. Man, he shows us his ways, the unseen ways of God. He said his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Can you imagine having the thoughts of God going through your mind? Well, the Bible says you've been given the mind of Christ. So you can have the very thoughts of God going through your mind. And I don't know about you. I want more of his thoughts. Are thoughts seen or unseen? They're unseen. There's not a thought in this world that can be seen, but they're real. And I want God's thoughts going through my mind. I want God's thoughts going through your mind. We crave the unseen. We desire the unseen. So I'll tell you what I love, and I've mentioned this before. What does this look like? You know, what does this feel like? What does this, what does this look like? All right. I love, and everybody's different. All right. But this is just me. I love taking walks with my invisible Savior, (laughs) my unseen friend. I love taking walks with a Father who begat me. I I wouldn't be here today if God hadn't caused me to be born. I wouldn't be here. So why shouldn't I get to know the Creator, the one who loves me, the one who loves you, taking walks with Him? And you know what? It's hard at first. Your distracted mind pulls you here. Your worries pull you there. Your plans get in the way of your prayer time. But press through the turbulence, as we talked yesterday, yesterday, last Sunday. Press through the turbulence. Begin to gain control of your mind and say, even if it's just three minutes at a time, five minutes at a time, say, I am going to spend time with Jesus, and I'm not going to think about my plans. I'm not going to think about what I need to do today or my worries. or anything. I am going to think about God, and I'm going to enjoy his presence. And little by little, you start enjoying that. And as soon as you find enjoyment in something, you're going to keep doing it more. And more. You're going to look forward to it. You're going to make time for it. All right? We do what we enjoy to do. Make no mistake about it. If, you're, if your schedule is busy from 5 o'clock in the morning to 7 or 8 o'clock in the, at night, it's because you like doing what you're doing. And some people say, yeah, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. You like to be busy. <laughs> it's, it's a choice. You enjoy it. You look forward to it. Yeah, sometimes it gets old and you need a break. 
But you know what? When you find enjoyment in Jesus, you're going to spend more time with him. You're going to spend more time, but you got to get on that teeter-totter and start saying, God, I just want more of the unseen in my life. I'm not going to make such a big deal out of the material and material accomplishments and visible things, all right? So you walk with God. You listen to God. You receive his peace. Live my life. And, uh, and, and, and being sensitive to his promptings. A lot of people say that's my conscience. Well, sometimes it's your conscience. Sometimes it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus himself prompting you to do something or not to do something. Listen to those spiritual promptings. That's one of the joys of living with the unseen is because he prompts you in the right direction. Waking up. I love this one. I've been doing this. I almost do this every morning. Wake up and know that God's presence is right there with me. The very, very first thought is the God of the universe, my best friend, my savior, the love of my life. I'm waking up and he is here with me. There's a book called Practicing God's Presence, and we need to do that. Practice his presence. Let a verse pop into your mind. Let it influence your thoughts. Let it influence your emotions and your decisions. I love this, these couple of scriptures here. Proverbs 3, verse 32. In the Amplified Classic Version, okay, so it reads a little bit different, more expanded, but here it goes. It says, his confidential, who's his? It's God's confidential communion and secret counsel are with the uncompromisingly righteous, those who are upright and in right standing with him. Oh, God, I want, I want some confidential communion with you today, Lord Jesus. As some people say, I'm going to have my quiet time. I used to think, I don't want, what quiet time? What's quiet time? I love my quiet time with Jesus. I love my quiet time with the Lord. Let me tell you what. He gives confidential communion, secret counsel. He tells you what to do, what not to do. If you're, if you're in a decision, I had a decision this morning. I was trying to help somebody. This morning, Sunday morning, and I just whispered a quick prayer. Lord, show me what to do and how to take care of this quick need, right? Hey, in minutes, he had shown me what to do and what needed to take place. He shows us. Psalms 25, 14. I ran across this one. I love this one. This, again, I believe is also in the Amplified Version. But it says, the secret of the sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord have they who fear, that is to revere and worship God. And he will show them his covenant and reveal to them its deep and inner meaning. Oh, that's so rich. You could sit there and just think about it. That's another way, by the way, of getting a hold of your distractions and your worries in your mind when you're spending time with Jesus is to take a verse and pray the verse. Talk the verse back to Jesus. Thank the verse back to him. Praise him for that verse, the contents of that verse, word by word, phrase by phrase. Before you know it, you spent five whole minutes with the Lord in an undistracted way. And it's so awesome. It's so rich. I'll take that sometimes. I'll get my phone. Sorry, I'm being ultra practical today, but I'll take my phone with a Bible app. I hope all of you have that Bible on your smartphone, if you have a smartphone, and look it up. And, and read verse by verse. Take Psalms 33. I mentioned that to you last Sunday. Psalms 33, verse by verse. And just read one verse and walk and meditate on it. Think about that verse. Your brain can only do one thing at a time. <laughs> it can worry or it can meditate. 
It can plan or it can rest. Your brain can only do one thing. There's no such thing as multitasking, even for the people that brag about multitasking. You can only do one thing at a time. And so you spend time with the Lord. Take a verse from the Bible. Take your phone if, if you want to walk and just think about the Word of God. Pray the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. Meditate on it. Wonderful, rich things. Okay, so listen to this. The unseen beats what is seen, and I should have added, all the time. The unseen beats the seen all the time. What can be seen, in other words. There's a, there's a story in the Bible, a true event, in 2, in 2 Kings chapter 6, where this prophet and his servant were surrounded by an enemy army, and the city they were in, the town that they were in, was they had they laid siege to it, specifically to... to to kidnap this prophet, all right? And so when they woke up the next morning, they said, the, the, the servant said to the prophet, look, my Lord, look, there's people. The, the armies are all around us. What are we going to do? In fact, he said that. Oh, no, my Lord, what are we going to do? Have you ever done that before? You see something, and you say, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? You freak out. Look at what the prophet said. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. All right. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And the prophet who is Elisha says, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And when he opened, when he saw what was unseen, he realized that the, uh, the, 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 the there was these horses and chariots, all a spiritual thing of fire all around the, the prophet. If we could just see how God, how close God is to us, how much he loves us, how protective he is and defensive he is of you, you'd never worry another day in your life. We need to get out of the scene and start focusing on the unseen because it'll change our behavior. It'll change our thought process. It'll change our worries. It'll change our priorities because we'll say the unseen always beats the scene. Always beats the scene. The unseen also teaches us about God's nature. When we start focusing on what's unseen, the spiritual side of things, we start learning more about God's nature. And as soon as we learn more about God, again, it changes how we operate, the way that we live. In 1 Timothy 1.17, it says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, oh, invisible, the Bible acknowledges that God is invisible. Yes, it does, actually. The invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Now, in the Old Testament, I can't find a single time where God is described as invisible. Now, the invisible nature is described of God, but it never quite says that he's invisible. What it does say is that no man can see God and live. <laughs> Doesn't use the word invisible, but it does say, no, it's God's mercy that you can't see him while you're alive because you wouldn't live. His, his, his glory is too much for us to, to be able to deal with our physical bodies. And so the fact that he's invisible is not, it's not a curse to us. It's a concession to us so that we can live our lives, <laughs> the rest of our lives. Thank God I can't see him. It'd be too much for me. All right, so it acknowledges here that he's invisible. In, in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16, 
The sun is the image of the invisible God. We can't see God, but I can picture Jesus. I can picture Jesus. And that's why God, one of the many reasons why God sent his son, is that, so that you and I would have a picture of Jesus. Of, and not just his physical looks, but his, because we don't have a picture of him, obviously, but his nature, how he operated as a human being, and that gives us a picture of God. Can you imagine living, and many people did, live before Jesus' time? They didn't have the luxury that we have of knowing Jesus, of having a Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, spelling out who Jesus was and how he was. And praise God, he's the image of the invisible God. That's awesome. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him, and for him. In Romans 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, since, since what we might be known about God is plain to them, because God was, has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities. What are his invisible qualities? His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen and understood by what is made, by the visible. The visible is what proves God's exi- his, his, his existence as an invisible spiritual entity. Wow. Last year, we disproved evolution in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. It's all it takes. Evolution is the most illogical, unscientific, dumb things you could possibly believe in. Whenever you start looking at your hand and looking at yourself and looking at creation, it proves that there's a God. It proves there's a God. One of the most life-changing things I ever did was go to a planetarium. And my mind was completely blown by the size of this universe and the, the expanse of the universe and these burning huge stars that are billions of miles away. Just mind-boggling. And you sit there in awe and you say, if this is the universe that God created, God must be enormous, huge, unbelievable, unbelievable. The God that we serve, and the Bible tells us exactly how creation took place. You can't merge evolution and, and creation. It, it doesn't work, all right? God spoke this universe into existence. And you know why he created the stars? Just for light. (laughs) That's our God. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. The unseen God. The universe proves him out and proves his existence. In 2 Peter 1.4, through these he has given us. His great and precious promises. Remember in the previous scripture, we talked about his invisible qualities, one of them being his divine nature. Here it says in 2 Peter, we get to participate in his divine nature, in the unseen, amazing nature of God. Through his great and incredible promises, we get to participate in the invisible divine nature of God. Well, the unseen comes before what is seen. It precedes what is unseen, and that is exactly what faith is all about. Faith 
is trusting in the unseen God more than in what we see. That's what faith is, and that's the battle. Remember, the Bible speaks of the fight of faith. Fight the fight of faith, which means stop going by your five senses and start going by your belief, your faith in God, who is, in fact, invisible. In Romans 4, 17, I love this. Come back to this several times. Speaking of Abraham, who had faith in the unseen, and it says the God who gives life to the dead and speaks of things that don't yet exist as if they are real. As if they're yet real. And I could give you example after example. In fact, I'll tell you just one real quick. You know, as, as we're uh, meandering through this maze of, you know, I've always been employed my whole career and now I'm not. And meandering through this maze of how are you going to do this, God? And I'm starting to see more and more of the unseen and know God's promises. Hey, I'm going to take care of it. And a few days later, he takes care of it. You see, that's trusting the unseen. I'll tell you what I told you last week. God takes things, gently takes things away from us so that we can start seeing what it feels like to trust in God. Trusting in the unseen. Have you had something taken away from you recently? Might be a financial or a relationship or something you were emotionally resting on. It was taken away from you. And now guess what? It's time to trust the unseen hand of God. Trust the love of God for you. Praise God. In Romans 4.18, that, that, I, I read it in the English, what is that, the English version? Easy reading version, that's what it is. Now look at this in the old King James version. I love, even though it's got the these and thous in it, it says, he's the God who calleth, <laughs> it's old English, all right, calleth those things which be not as though they were. As though they were. And he wants to tell you in advance many times before he does something miraculous, before he does something on your behalf, impossible. He wants to whisper in your ear, it's going to take place. And by the way, my word says promise one, promise two, promise three. Now believe it because the Bible says according to your faith, will it be done unto you? Praise God. And I'm not one of these people, name it, claim it, gab it, grab it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what God has promised you. He's promised you things. All right? Let's see what God wants, and now let me start wanting the same thing he wants, and it's going to happen, and that's what faith is. He calls those things which be not as though they were. I love that. In 2 Corinthians 5.7, It says, we live by faith, not by sight. Ooh, that's starting to get scary, right? (laughs) You know what you need to do? Spread your wings of faith that we talked about last week. Spread them wide. Instead of holding them in and saying, ooh, I got this much faith, God. I I don't want to put it out there because it might get hurt, and then I may not have any faith left. No, spread your wings wide and let God's invisible power take you up and take you where you need to be and and take care of your needs, protect you, watch over you. Is this too much for anybody, by the way? (laughs) Are you with me? I hope so, man. I'll tell you what, life is hard. It is hard. There's impossibilities. There's difficulties. And there's two reactions to that. I've seen that. I'll never forget going to this hospital. I was going to go visit somebody who had some surgery or something. And there's this corner. I don't know how I became to realize this, but there's this corner room 
where this very wealthy young man had broken his femur in a skiing accident. And he wouldn't let anybody in his room because he was so upset about the accident. All right? You can have that reaction when something impossible had just shut down and give up. Or you can go on the other side and say, oh, well, life's life. I'm going to ignore my problems. <laughs> uh, you know, somebody's having a problem. I'm going to ignore them because I can't cope with helping them. And you either ignore or you shut down. God wants you to stand in the middle of it and trust him. He's, you, he wants you to trust him. Trust the invisible God, the unseen God. Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. I, I'll, I'll just talk you through the story and then just share with you this one scripture. But there's this, this guy. He's, in my mind, just a reject, all right? Jacob in the Bible. He was, just, he's, he was selfish. He was self-focused. All he cared about was himself. His mother fed his ego. And his dad liked his twin brother a lot more, Esau. And they got into a, a thither, right? And Jacob stole his, birth, his brother's birthright and hit the road. He was running. And he had, his last thought was God. All he cared about was himself. How many of you have been in that kind of situation before? All of us. We're all at some point have been completely self-centered. And so what happens? He lays down. He's left everything. He's, he doesn't have anything. He's basically homeless. He's running to some relative's house, a place where they lived. But he had a dream where there's a kind of a stairway or a ladder to heaven. And in God, it was the first interaction that we find that Jacob actually had with God. And you see how God reaches out to Jacob. Instead of Jacob reaching out to him, God reached out to Jacob. And that's how it works, by the way. Salvation is God saving us even when we don't want to be saved. <laughs> he reaches out to Jacob. And when Jacob wakes up from this dream, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. We're not aware of God enough as we should be. He is real. He wants to do something special every day of the week for you. He wants to whisper grace into your ear, peace into your ear, correction into your ear. He's, he's God. He's real. And many times we're not aware until he begins to make us aware and we start craving the unseen more than we want the unseen. Well, let me finish with this in Hebrews 11. Eh, this one or two more things. We're almost done. Hebrews 11. Read through a couple of verses about faith. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. It talks about what faith is. It defines faith. It, and it gives numerous examples of people of faith and imperfect people of faith, by the way. But they were people of faith either way. In verse 1, it says, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. That's faith. It's an assurance about what you don't see. I remember once screaming at God, literally yelling at God, I want to see God, not see him. I want you, I want you to show me what you're going to do because I'm freaking out here. That wasn't faith. <laughs> but slowly but surely, God began to show me, trust me. You're not going to see it yet, but trust me, I'm going to take you through this difficult time that I was going through at the time. So faith is the assurance about what we don't see. That's what faith is. All right. This is what the ancients or the the old timey people of the Bible were commended for in verse three. But faith 
By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was made out of what was uh, made out of what was visible. Excuse me, let me read that again. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All right? God takes things that don't exist and makes them exist for us. He takes an addict and transfers them into someone who's not addicted anymore. He takes stuff out of nothing and makes something. He took me when I could care less about studying in high school and flipped a switch and all of a sudden I started caring about my grades. (laughs) He takes something that wasn't and makes it something that is. Praise God, he can break off toxic relationships. He rained food out of the heavens for the Israelites, two million people. He's put marriages back together. He can take something from nothing and make it something. That's the God we serve. In in, uh, verse 7, it's talking of Noah, who is warned of things not yet seen. And he does that. He warns us of things that are about to happen that could be bad for us. And he says, be careful. Don't do X, Y, and Z right now because it will lead to A, B, and C down the line. Things that haven't happened yet, he warns us so that we avoid making some of those mistakes. In verse 8, it says that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went even though he did not know where he was going. (laughs) He was going like a a blind man. I don't know where I'm going. I remember standing once. I was, all all my experiences have been work-related, but I remember once thinking I was about to lose my job. And so I was interviewing, and I was standing in the office waiting to speak to the guy who was going to interview me. And I'll never forget standing there. There was kind of the the boardroom table, and there was a wall right there, glass behind me. I remember specifically saying, God, I can't see beyond my own nose. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. Have you ever been there before? Yeah? Hey, the unseen will guide you one step at a time. We want to see the long-term plans. Most of the time, God just doesn't give that to us because he wants us to hold his hand and take one step at a time and enjoy one step at a time. That's the hard part, right? God, I want to know. And God says, no, one step at a time. Let's, let's walk together. I've got you covered. I've got you covered. In verse 9, it says, by faith, he made his home. This is Abraham in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were, his, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward, Abraham was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Man, sometimes, and I don't do this often, but sometimes you say, someday I'm going to be in heaven and I won't have to deal with any of this mess anymore. (laughs) You look way forward and you say, God, I'm just enjoying the thought of every tear being wiped from my eye, every trouble being gone, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more stress, no more worries. Praise God. The the future of what's not seen. Verse 26 he, uh, he regarded, and this is speaking of Moses, it says he, was regard, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
the eyes of his heart. He was seeing things in a spiritual sense. Verse 26, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. Look at this. This is amazing. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Why do people give up? They've gotten their eyes off of Jesus who can't be seen. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy he endured the, the, the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. The unseen is unstoppable. If you want to persevere in life, start desiring the unseen God who can help you through every problem, overcome every difficulty. Seek the unseen, as Matthew 6.33. Look at the unseen things that Matthew 6.33 tells us to, to seek. First, seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's unseen. The rulership of Christ in our lives. Seek his righteousness. And if you say, God, I'm not quite sure what that is or what that does for me. Study righteousness in the Bible and it'll whet your appetite and you'll start wanting God's righteousness. Instead of your own self, you know, trying to earn anything for God. He says, no, I'm going to make you righteous. It's a gift that comes by faith. Both of these are unseen, but look what they do. The unseen causes you to have all your needs added to as well. Even your wants, even good things in your life. Seek first the unseen and God will add the seen to you. The tangible to you, the material to you, the physical to you. All right, so the unseen is everything. And I, I want to just share a cool personal experience in the last couple of weeks. I was guided to a place where God tells Moses, I am. Moses was asking, who do I tell the Israelites you are? When I go to them and tell them, I'm going to get you out of Egypt, who do I tell them you are? And God says, tell them I am. (laughs) How does that help me? (laughs) Right? I am. Well, it's I am blank. I am everything. You need provision? I am your provision. You need healing? I'm your healer. You need peace? I'm your prince of peace. You need protection? I'm your defender. You need salvation? I'm your rescuer. (laughs) Anything you need, he is. I am. So when you're on the teeter-totter and you're trying unseen versus seen, you start saying, well, the seen, I may have six things, but over here I have everything. I am everything. So you wake up in the morning and say, God, you are this. You are that. You are the other. You are, And I am seeking you, God, because you have everything that I need. There's nothing lacking. So stop watching for what's seen and start watching for the unseen things, the hand of God working and moving on your behalf, helping you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us. And I used to think, well, that sounds kind of secretarial. (laughs) God helps me. He's like my secretary. No, it's different. He's my helper in that I do 1% and he helps me with the other 99% that I can't do myself. That's the help of God. It's huge. It's enormous. And I can't live without God. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. I cannot live without God. The unseen uh, rained 
hail down on enemy armies, the unseen opened prison doors, the unseen broke chains, the unseen parted the waters for the Israelites, the unseen released Israel from, from Egypt by killing the firstborn of the enemy, the unseen brought food down from heaven, and the unseen brought water from a rock in the desert to take care of two million people. Unbelievable, guys. I want the unseen. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, O oh God, Lord, for wetting our appetite. In fact, your word says it, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, Jesus, Lord, make us want more of you. <laughs> Lord, help us to look at the scales and say, okay, the physical, the material, this world offers me this, but Lord, you offer me everything. God, how could I not want what you have? Lord, how could I not seek you? How could I not delight myself in you and have you take care of all my desires, satisfy all my desires, Lord? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to crave and to yearn and to desire and to pursue and chase after the God who loves us, who saves us, who takes care of us, who blesses us, who has grace towards us. Lord, who, who's merciful to us, Lord. Oh, thank you, God, that you took the initiative to save us. And all we did was just say, yes, Lord, save me. But you went after the hundredth sheep who was me, who was us. You took the initiative, Lord. And so what, what do we pray? Lord, we pray, go, Jesus, go. Go after the lost. Go, Jesus, go. Help the person who's struggling and needs deliverance from their thoughts that are obsessing them, that are, that are uh, destroying them. Lord, go, Jesus, go to the addicts, to the homeless, to the hopeless. Go, Jesus, go to the immigrants who don't have a place to go. Go, Jesus, go and do your work, Lord, and count me in to help anywhere I can, Lord. Anywhere we can help, Lord Jesus, go, Jesus, go, oh God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I'll follow you, we'll follow you, Lord. Lord, like Jeremiah said, Lord, send me, I'll go. <laughs> I'll follow the unseen leading of God. I will go and answer in obedience when he tells me to do or not to do. Oh, Jesus, Lord, help us to get a grip. Lord, open the eyes of our heart. Take away the blind, the spiritual blinders, the, the deaf ears, the blind eyes, Lord God. Oh, to understand, Lord God, to comprehend the ways of God, the goodness of God, the seriousness of God, the holiness of of God, Lord. Pull at our heartstrings, at our emotions, Lord God. Warn us. Save us. Turn us around, oh God, I pray. <laughs>